Every author obsesses over one single date, the day their book gets published, their pub date. All those rigorous edits and deadlines leading up to that one infamous day when the book an author has been living, breathing, and conceiving for years is launched into the world. This is a show about pub dates, a place where we delve into the story behind the story of how a book comes to market. I'm your host, Allison Trowbridge. I'm an author myself and the founder CEO of Copper, a platform that connects authors and readers around books. So welcome to our pub date. Pull up a chair and grab yourself a libation. We may not be in a pub, but we'll definitely be raising a glass in celebration. Jess Ritchie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Allie, it's such a joy. I read your book, 22. What? Yeah, I did. Many years ago, I was like hanging out with this girl who was in high school and like she was like a sophomore and I was in my like mid-20s and I was like, I'm going to like figure out a way that we can have like meaningful time together. And so we read your book together. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. And it was so sweet because we kind of met in the middle. Like I was like kind of past that hump of like, oh my God, the world is so big. And what am I supposed to do as like a, a girl here? How can I dream? Is it okay to have ambitions? And then she's like this like sweet, tender, like sophomore in high school. Wow. It's just starting out. So it was so sweet. So it feels so nice to talk to you now. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored. Thank you. And now you're an author too. I know. It's weird and I feel uncomfortable even saying it, but it's fun. <laughs> okay, wait. I want to first, before we dive into your book, I want to press in on that because it's something I hear from so many authors, including from authors who have been like chosen by Oprah as one of her mm. book club picks and like New York Times bestsellers. They all feel this discomfort with saying, I'm an author. So let me press in on that. What feels uncomfortable in saying that for you? I think there's It's like twofold. The first is that I've worked behind the scenes in book world for like a dozen years now. So I'm so great at being like, hey, let's make this big and shiny and like everybody needs to hear this message. And I'm so great at like toting somebody else's. And then it's so strange Mm -hmm. to do that for yourself, right? And then I think the second thing is in a world that sometimes tells you that to be a writer or to be an author, you kind of have to be a brand. That feels so gross. (laughs) Do you know, like that my life is not for sale, that my like hard won experiences aren't for sale. So trying to like toe that line between being honest and being not being like brandy. I don't know. I don't know where it, so it feels easier to just be like, oh no, it's it's just this little project we did. Right. It's, no, I love that you say that because I think that is one of the most one of the most universal frustrations mm-hmm. right now with the publishing process. And I never linked it to the discomfort of saying that I'm an author, and that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you related that. Yeah, did you feel similarly when you were? I know the the world has like keeps evolving in terms of social media engagement and things like that. But what would what did that feel like for you when you were releasing your book? Oh my gosh, it was. It, it felt like this, I felt like I had just poured my heart, soul, mm. everything I had into this book. And then suddenly I had to shift from this space of like giving, like it felt like 
I think writing a book is such a generous endeavor mm-hmm. because you're you're trying to to share your heart with others. And then to feel like I had to turn around and kind of hawk it on the street corner, so to speak, and try and like hit people over the head with and get them to see it and pay attention to it and buy it and look at me. And it felt like such a disconnect between the why of why I wrote the book. And I really struggled to reconcile the, I want to gift this. It's like Mm. wanting to give somebody a gift but then you're also having to talk them into actually opening the gift and taking it and and using it. Mm. And yeah, that was the biggest frustration disconnect for me. And part of in launching Copper, what we're, what we're trying to do is kind of shift that energy and eliminate that friction for the authors so they feel less like these kind of self-promotional engines and right. more of a how do I build relationship mm. with readers. Well, I love that because I think that's exactly the like the hope, right, is that the stories, the words, the pen on the page is what transforms and not just like what Instagram graphic I decided to post today or if I convinced my email list to buy it enough. Yeah, I don't know. It does. It feels so gross. I know. It's so true. Authors are expected to be so much today. Yeah. So talk to us about the book that you're launching. And actually, so I'd love to first have you tell us about the book and then Also, I'm really excited to dig into your journey in how you've gone from working on so many other book projects to now working on your own. But tell us first and foremost. That's so fun. Well, there it's like kind of uh, that answer is all in one kind of because I have the joy and privilege of working with Dr. Kate Bowler. Um, I Kate is a dear friend, just love her, and we have a lot of days that are like, what if we did, wouldn't it be fun if like we, most of our conversations start like that. So, um, when Kate was releasing everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved, uh, she asked me to come kind of jump on board and help her get that book out the door. Cause that's the side of the world that I knew pretty well. And then out of that, we started the podcast, everything happens. And, I started working full-time for her at at Duke and we started a whole project and it's kind of snowballed into this podcast and project and we have like care packages and this like delightful, tender, precious community of readers and listeners who usually have had their life ripped apart by something Mm -hmm. awful. They are, they've experienced some sort of disease or divorce or death or they're the people who love them. Like we called them like paid to care professionals. So they're the doctors or the nurses yeah. or the social workers or the teachers, like the the spouses, the caregivers. So we just have this like beautiful, tender group of people. And so as Kate and I have thought about what we want to make, what feels fun and life-giving, and then also like intersects that like deep need of our people, she wheeled a whiteboard into my driveway when pandemic had just started and we couldn't like be in the office together. So she stood six feet apart and wheeled one of those like giant six foot tall white. I don't even know how she got it like out of her truck into my driveway. I never, I wish I had that on film. And then she basically (laughs) outlined this idea of like, what if out of the work that we do together, working on the podcast every week, we like put together a book of spiritual essays, of spiritual reflections, devotionals, and like made them for our listener. So that's what we did. And so there's 40-ish, we call it, Um, (laughs) 40-ish devotions, (laughs) and it's called Good Enough. And each Mm -hmm. entry includes a little essay that's 
anecdotal or based on scripture or based on something funny that happened to Kate or I. And then it also includes a blessing. And those blessings are what we add to the end of every podcast episode that we, Kate and I kind of like sit in a Google document together. And then we're like, what do, you know, like, what did we learn from this podcast or this conversation with somebody? And like, what would our audience need? Like, what's the gift? What do we want to leave them with? What's the like, blessing Mm. that we can offer them in this space. And so each one of the good enough entries has a little blessing. And then it has a little like action step, which Kate and I like argued over so many times, just trying to figure out like, because we fundamentally do not believe in self-help. We think it's just, really, it's just, there are some things that you can fix, but then like not all things. (laughs) And I think the pandemic should have probably made that kind of clearer for us all. But the illusion that we can fix our lives by like making our beds or getting up earlier, mastering our mornings, like it's just not when your life comes apart, not when your life is ripped apart by disease or heartbreak or miscarriage. Yeah. Like it's just, it's kind of a poison at that point. So we still want people to try. And we don't think that that just means you kind of have to like give up on life ever feeling full or rich or beautiful because we don't think that that's true too. We think that the things can like coexist, that joy and Mm. pain and somehow it's not like a math formula that this equals this, but somehow beauty still shows up. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. So we have little ideas, actionable ideas that are gentle. What's one of your, when you kind of reflect back on, on that writing process, what's one of those 40 ish that spoke the most to you Mm. and felt the most kind of, I don't know, made the most profound impact. Like I think as we write books, they also instruct us in our own lives. Yeah. Were there any personal for you? I think that, that like the best kind of writing, the like most true honest, like the stuff that jumps off of a page is when you can tell it like struck a chord. There's an entry I wrote called To My Body. And I wrote like a love letter of sorts and to a body that breaks, to a body that ages, to a body that shows the wear and tear of like every love and every year mm-hmm. on it. And I think that that one I like woke up in the middle of the night with. It was just one of those like, oh, wow, I think that there's something there. Like I think something about bodies that age and break and um, minds that aren't as sharp anymore and wrinkles. And I don't know, there's something Mm. about learning to love our literal bodies that feels like a lifelong pursuit. Mm, Yes. So I think that's the one that I think did some work on me too. Yeah, absolutely. And I just love the space that you guys are writing in. I I mean, I remember first hearing about Kate's first book that you you worked on, that everything happens for a reason. And I think it's in Other Lies I've Believed. Yep, Other Lies I've Loved. (laughs) Other Lies I've Loved is even better. It's even better. But it's like these titles just kind of punch you in the gut Mm. because it's, you know, you're like, gosh, that is such a universal truth that sometimes suffering is a part of the the human existence and and how do we lean into the good through it while also embracing mm. the reality of the heart and and what's hard in our lives and i think the the work that you and Kate have done on these books and this new and good enough are just also a testament to kind of community mm. forming around these conversations That's and right. these topics can you speak a little bit to just how, yeah, this community that you've built amongst 
readers and listeners and and the commonality in in their experiences. Mm. I think this has been, oh man, Kate and I consider it like a good day when there's something every day that like brings tears to our eyes. There is something that moves us. So we have the great honor and joy of being on the receiving end of so many people's most delicate moments. And people write in all of the time. There's something about somebody telling the truth about how hard life is or how afraid they are or how they thought life would be different by now and that they thought that like maybe they were the exception to a life of pain or grief or heartbreak that Mm -hmm. kind of encourages other people to tell the same thing back. And so we found that with people that read Kate's books or listen to the conversations Kate has on the podcast that there is this, it's like a clarion call for other people to to speak back the realities that they're experiencing, the pain they've been facing, and they haven't really had a home for it. Because sometimes our faith is a little shallow when it comes to mm. a life that hasn't worked out. And sometimes like the American lore of like pick yourselves up by the bootstraps isn't sufficient. Yeah. When you can't like work your way out of some of these kinds of problems. So yeah. we have a group of just tender hearted softies who are like ripped mm. open sometimes by choice because they love people who are fragile and sometimes because it's their life that came undone. And I, yeah, it just seems like such a man. And, but we also like love to laugh and make them laugh. And Kate is like one of the funniest people I've ever met. So I love, cause I feel like there's versions of this that could just be like, wow, that's so depressing. <laughs> and I don't need reminded of how hard life is. Thank you very much. We had a, oh my gosh, this made me laugh so hard. We, I, I don't, read reviews often, but I'll, I pay attention to our podcast reviews. And we got one recently that just said, what a downer with like an emoji thumbs down. You're joking. (laughs) It was so funny. And so I had it printed on sweatshirts for all of us. Cause I feel like I did. That's incredible. I feel like that is a, like a badge of honor is that if we're telling the truth and that this person is like, wow, that's, not inspirational. <laughs> We're like, yeah, well, life is really hard. Surprise. It is. it is. And anyone who tells you that it's not hard is lying yeah, to you. Ex- I think that's a quote from, um, uh, there's a version of that in Princess Bride, I think, where it's like, life is hard, highness. And anybody who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. I don't know, sell you something. <laughs> that is, that is, I need to write that on my wall. Right. Right? No, I'm not joking. I think I'm going to print that out and write that on my wall. Look at you. Because I think so often in in a world of marketing and Mm. promotion and social media, we all buy into this lie that everybody else's lives are better than our own and everyone else has it easy and somehow we drew the short stick and it's unfair. And and I think that's a universal human experience. I mean, do you feel the same? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I like my friends are all having a million babies and like have been married for a million years. And I like decided to go back to get my master's degree in my like late 20s. And, you know, like I just feel like my yep. life trajectory has not, it's good, but it hasn't mapped onto what I see yeah. as the, yeah. the value valued things online. So I totally, totally feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I love in the description about the book, 
It says, let's see, good enough is a companion for when you want to stop feeling guilty that you're not living your best life now. It gives permission for all those who need to hear that there are some things you can fix and some things you can't. Mm. And it's okay that life isn't always better. Mm. I just think that's, it almost is like a, gives kind of a sigh of relief of giving, giving permission to accept and be present in life as it is Mm. and fully experience it. And then that almost opens up and unlocks a different level of gratitude and presence when you're not constantly thinking that if I only make my bed a little better, won't that suddenly make it all right? Wasn't there a (laughs) trick or a oil for this? I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah, right. I know. I feel the the like faith story too that's there is that we imagined that like God plus our efforts equal some sort of mystical, imaginary, spiritually rich life that <laughs> we are mm. so we feel so lucky to have because we're yeah. blessed. So I feel like this book also really tackles that idea that like our faith will mean that life will always work out because that's not promised and that's not like what so many people have experienced. And like, what does it mean if God could still be present here, like in the middle of a life that has come undone? Yeah. Tell me about the title. Why did you guys land on good enough as the title? It was more like tongue in cheek right away. Like we... Kate and I are like just monsters when it comes to having new ideas. <laughs> and so when we're juggling so much, we kind of just had to turn down the like the volume on perfection a little bit. And, you know, we're, we were short staffed and it was a pandemic and we were, we just started saying it like, yeah, well, it's good enough. <laughs> so it just became like a little inside joke between us. And then okay. we were, when we went to writing the title, we were like, we wanted something a little punchy because she's so good. Like her everything happens for a reason. And then her latest book was called No Cure for Being Human and Other Truths I Need to Hear, which is oh, another yeah, good title. Another great title. So we Not were trying to think with all the titles. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Go to Kate has all the best ideas. So when we were thinking of something, we were just like, we should just call it good enough because it's kind of hilarious. And we also do believe <laughs> that we, as we are, are good enough. Like our, like all of our efforts sometimes are just pointless and yet it feels so good to try and it feels so good to like hunt for beauty and truth and meaning even if there's like no formula that things will always work out but we should Mm -hmm. try absolutely absolutely I love it and and just tell me I want to talk a little bit about how you went so we mentioned these other books all New York Times bestsellers you were a part of helping bring these to life How has it been for you, we mentioned this earlier, but to go from working on these book projects to actually moving into the author seat and co-writing a book, what has that journey and trajectory been like for you? Was that a dream that you had? Was it unexpected? Tell us how that story played out. I think I've always loved writing. I've always loved like finding the words on a page that just perfectly describe that experience or taste or relationship, but I never imagined that I would be the one with my name on the cover because Mm. I'm so, so happy to put other people's, like to do all the behind the scenes work to make, I don't know. I love, like I do such meaningful work every day and that has always just felt like enough, you know, that has always just met all of my vocational needs. And so I think it's more of Kate's hard shoving 
into this arena that <laughs> as, cause I was like, well, why don't you just write it and I'll just help you. And she was like, no, we're doing this together. We write all these together. We're doing this together. So yeah. I think I got shoved into the deep end a little bit. So it's not because it's been this like big aspiration that I've had. I think when I'd love to hear your reflection on this too, I, I have such a hard time. Like I have evolved so much spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. My life has changed so much over the last like 15 years, like putting something in paper to live into perpetuity and just like haunt me on Amazon forever has always felt so daunting. So I'd love to know from you, like, you know, writing a book like 22, like reflecting on those years in your life, knowing that you might not always believe those things. You might regret a decision that you made. Like, how do you live with the, a book that's frozen in time? Absolutely. It was one of the things I wrestled with the most. And I was so incredibly thankful, actually, that I so admire authors who self-publish because Mm. for me, if I had not had a deadline looming, like an actual date that I had to submit, I mean, I mean, down to the wire. I no, it would never have happened. Writing things, I was, I mean, my my editor would say it looks good, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I just cut half the chapters, and then I reorganized the whole thing. And she's like, you did what? I'm like, but it's not there yet. Mm. And and but knowing that at some point I just had to ship it. Mm. I I have a mentor who said to me once, it's a quote from Steve Jobs, but he said, "Real artists ship." Mm. If you want to be an artist, you gotta put a frame on it. You gotta ship it. And so I think that <laughs> I know it's not good. Yes, but terrible. I know, I know. And it's just that is one that I've had on a post-it on my mm. wall for years because it's a reminder that it doesn't the art, the work doesn't become real. It doesn't impact anyone when it's right. still in your head and in your Word document. And so I think the bravery of the creative process is mm-hmm. accepting something as done, knowing that it could always be better, but for it to do the work it needs to do in the world, you just have to release it and you have to let it go and you have to let it become what it's going to become mm-hmm. and do the work it's going to do and go to the next thing you're meant to create. And so I think your title of the book is very <laughs> apropos to this topic because at some point something is good enough. Good enough. Yeah. yeah. And then I don't let myself open the book or reread anything. So I just want to change it. No, that's exactly what I'm feeling. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. We read the audio book and I was just like, oh, I mean, we were so proud of everything, but then it is that feeling of like, oh man, I wish we could have like added a little there. Yep. Yep. Totally. Totally. And how does it feel for you? You know, this show is, is so much for readers, but also authors and aspiring authors, how does it feel? How are you feeling coming up on the book launch? Your pub date is February 15th, 15th day after Valentine's So day. soon. Yeah. I feel so proud of the work that our little team has been putting into this, not only because the message feels like it tracks right now, but also because it just, the success of the book so far has been evidence that like we have like really taken care of our audience well and we know what they want to hear and need to hear and are hungry for and that this book really fits that whole. So I feel really proud that we, we know our people and we want, like we're always just trying to serve them 
that group. So I feel, I feel excited about that. I'm also a little nervous because I'm like, dear God, all of you people have bought this pre-ordered and we like, it's not even come out. What if you hate it? What if you're like not religious at all? And you're like, wow, they talked about God and included a prayer and I feel uncomfortable. So, you know, some, you just got to ship it apparently (laughs) or Amazon will do it for you. Yeah. And, and, and to that, Jess, what, what would be the transformation or the impact you would hope to see Mm. in the life of one of your readers? So they set the book down. They've just finished reading it. How do you want them to feel? Oh, I think my deepest hope is that they use this book of little spiritual reflections and at the end of it, realize that like they are so, so loved by God, not because their life has any evidence of it, not because their life has worked out or they thought they were doing it all wrong, but that, that like God's presence just remains in the midst. I think that that would be my greatest hope that mm. maybe this rewrites faith for people in a little bit of a different way. That's beautiful. Well, I'm so excited to get a copy of this book. Jess, thank you for joining us. Congratulations on getting on the front of the cover. I know, and weird. I don't, I don't know. On this. And yeah, you're an author. It's real. The book is real. And so excited to see how it impacts people's lives. Thanks so much, Emily.